The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there is a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow if you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day, and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. My name's Dave Goldberg, and I'm your show host, and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us, and you can follow some live tweeting of the show at hashtag bigbeaconradio. So today, we're fortunate to be joined by Dean Paula Krebs, uh, Dean of Humanities and... and uh, Social Sciences at Bridgewater State University. Uh, Paula, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Dave. Well, it's great to have you have you here, and I'm I'm, I'm excited to hear about some of uh, the uh, the initiatives that that and and uh, relook that you're taking at uh, at at higher education and liberal education. But before we jump into that, you you've had an academic you're an academic academic of sorts. You've you've had positions as a professor of English, leadership positions in the MLA, um, an ACE fellowship, your columnist for the Chronicle of Higher Education, and, and you're currently dean. But um, let's let's uh, hop in the time machine and go back to earlier experiences. What were what were some of the key early milestones or events in your life that led to your your current career path? Well, it's it's funny to be called an academic's academic, uh, Dave, because that, that I guess was the last way, way I would ever uh, have thought of myself. I am. Um, I came at this kind of back door. Um, I was um, an English major at, at uh, uh, what was then LaSalle College in Philadelphia a long time ago and did, went to graduate school because one of my faculty members told me that she thought it would be a good thing for me to do. And I, I applied to fund my graduate education uh, by working for a journal that uh, the program that I was applying to ran, and that was because I was a sports writer. I put myself through college as a sports writer, and I thought, well, I can do journalism. I could, you know, I could edit this magazine. I could pay my way through grad school. That'd be great. So I applied for that. Um, I went to grad school, and only when I got to grad school did I, did I realize this is, this is how first generation I am, um, that graduate school actually prepared you to be a faculty member in higher education. Uh, I was in an English uh, degree program, and I'm not sure what I thought a PhD in English was, but it, it seemed to me it was about going to, going to school some more, and I really liked going to school. So uh, then I, uh, I went to grad school at Indiana uh, in Victorian literature, which was wonderful. Um, and I stopped out for a few years in the middle, 
and worked as an editor for a magazine for high school science teachers. I'd been a physics major in college before I switched to English, and so I'm not so far from you um, in the engineering world. But I loved working for the science teacher. It was a great um, magazine for high school science teachers put out by the National Science Teachers Association. And uh, never quite felt like I've had both feet in acad- academics, um, and, which is part of the reason why I, I write for the Chronicle. I, I think of myself as a writer and a, and a journalist almost as much as I think of myself um, as an academic. So um, I, I, I've always felt my whole career long that, that it, it could implode at any minute, and I always had a backup plan. So. Oh, that's so interesting, and and uh, and the, the the start as a sports writer. What sports did you cover? Oh, what didn't I cover? Um, when I was in college, I worked for uh, a daily in South Jersey, and I covered a lot of high school football. Um, I covered um, oh, baseball, track and field, uh, some college track and field. Uh, Lots of uh, different high school, high school basketball, of course. And then when I was in, in grad school, I actually worked for a, a daily paper there as well, and I covered much, much Southern Indiana high school football, spent many a cold uh, fall evening on the sidelines of uh, various small-town uh, football fields in, in Southern Indiana. Uh, and I did some, so I covered some, some college sports as well, some um, wonderful Indiana University uh, Soccer, men's soccer, which was great, and IU women's sports as well, and um, so uh, a number of different sports, yeah. some of which I knew a lot about, some of which I had to fake. So. Well, so it's interesting. The number of the people that come on the show, you know, have these uh, uh, whether it, uh, academics have this sort of uh, hidden past of of <laughs> of, of uh, a previous a previous life and career that sort of is, continues to carry them forward and and on this show we're interested in what we call unleashing experiences for our young people today how 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 can can we have uh, young people that have the courage to go out in the world and and make a difference and do something interesting and 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 there's a sense of unleashing in your your career history and so i'm wondering if there were people or particular events that um for example, give you the courage to speak out on controversial subjects in, in say, liberal education? Well, that's an interesting question. I, um, In some ways, it kind of goes back to, to one's family, ultimately, right? Um, my sure. my father was a, a, a union pipe carver, and uh, we had many the uh, scrambled egg dinner in the household when he was on, on picket duty uh, on, during strikes. And, and I, so I've always... Um, I always kind of felt felt the value of labor politics uh, in 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 my life, and and understood uh, that you sometimes had to take a risk um, and take a chance uh, in order, uh, I guess, uh, to reach for a better a better end. Um, I, well, I I wrote an article uh, a couple years ago for a collection on on uh, women in academic service. It was a collection on ways that um, women do. Uh, Contribute in various service roles in in higher ed, from committee work to volunteer work, and 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 what I focused on in that article was how it's 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 important to do this work, and it's important to the functioning of 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 the institution, but it's also important um, to to not just do work in order to make things operate smoothly. That if you're going to do some service work, you should throw a little grit in the wheel as well. That that if you're just keeping the trains running, 
then you're never going to be able to really move forward. And I, so I feel, and I tell young faculty members that as well. Yes. It's really important, um, yeah, to do your committee service uh, to 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 help the institution function. But the institution, but times change, uh, people change, uh, uh, economic conditions change, and if you're not always looking one step ahead, try to make things a little better in the ways that you value. You, you may get left behind. So, so I guess I, uh, I've always kind of had a value of of um, making a little trouble while also trying to make things better. Well, you've got a, a kindred spirit on the other end of the microphone here, and, <laughs> and, 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 and you're right, it, it come, but it comes from a good place. It comes from a place of care about the institution, um, oftentimes anyways, and, and oh, that it, it comes from a place of you know, wanting things to be better. Is this the best we, you know, is this the best we can do? And, and, uh, you know, we do very well in some things, but we can do better. And so, no, that's, that's really, that's really great to hear. You know, so you're, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it's the time of year when I'm starting to interview uh, potential uh, faculty members, can, you know, job candidates coming through, and and that's always the most exciting thing about talking to them is 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 for them to to give their visions and the things that they really want to change and the things they want to do that are really special that would add to what we have, you know, not just you know fill in the gap in this course that needs to be taught or that you know well, that's that so interesting. That yeah, <laughs> and what and what are they saying these days, or what 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 kinds of interests without betraying any confidence is what kinds of things are they interested in? Well, you know, we have, um, um, for, for, I have a college of humanities and social sciences. And so I have, I have both, uh, kinds of, uh, uh, candidates coming through. And so I have, for example, criminal justice faculty members coming through who, who, um, believe in a criminal justice system. Of course, they're, they're, they're part of it. They analyze it. They want it to work best, but, but they have all kinds of ideas about programs, for example, with the local correctional facility, you know, mm. things that they've done as volunteers in their graduate programs with correctional facilities and things that they think would bring our students a really special experience in working, um, with, with, um, the correctional facility, uh, here and that, and we already have some programs that do that. And it's always exciting when, when, when young faculty members, are, are not afraid to reach beyond the institution and want to bring our students beyond the institution out into, you know, in public administration, into, into local uh, government, and, and, and let them see how the sausage is made, you know, really, really get them out there. That's part, I mean, we'll talk later in, in more detail yes. about this in relation to the humanities, but that's, that, that's we have a really strong um, uh, sense of the imperative to get students off campus, get them out, get them seeing the world, and bring in some of what they, what they're learning here, out there, and what they're learning out there back here. Beautiful, yeah, and, and I think we will be talking some more about this. And and you came to Big Beacon Radio's attention through some of your writing in the Chronicle, and and it's my understanding that you're you're organizing a group and uh, of of uh, like-minded individuals in the Northeast to examine. Uh, "Quote unquote student success in the humanities." So, what's what's this about? Well, that's a you know that that's a big question actually. What is this about? So, we um, the, higher ed um, has been paying more attention to these indicators, student success indicators, um, recently. What is it? I mean, it's no longer okay to just talk about the ineffable value of a of a bachelor's degree. That that it's just it's 
it's uh, it's education makes you a more well-rounded citizen, and then you go and get a job. People are realizing that that we have to pay attention to what the various elements are of it, um, how we know we're doing what we're saying, what we say we're doing, and and what is it that we say we're doing. So, for example. Um, we start to collect more data in higher education. That data uh, allows us to see where we're succeeding and where we're failing. So what are the um, classes in a given major, for example, where students are getting Ds, they're getting Fs, or they're withdrawing? Where are they dropping out? Why is that a problem, and how can we fix it in that particular course to bring up the retention and graduation rates in that particular major? So that kind of data analysis enables you to look at one kind of student success so that is keeping students in school and then helping them through to graduation. And we're doing a lot of that work in, in a lot of different programs. Um, other kinds of measures that people sometimes outside of higher ed use for to talk about success in higher ed include uh, how much money does a student make um, and they, in the first job they get when they graduate. Do they have a job um, sure. and, do, and do they make any money at that job? And one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this group of folks together to talk about this issue of student success is because what a limited conception of success that is. Ultimately, our, yes. my, my uh, university president likes to say, if every single one of our students, when they graduated, went out and joined the Peace Corps, we would look really terrible on success measures, the way they're currently constituted. And yet, what a great success that would be in many, many ways for this institution. Um, so, we, as you may know, and your your listeners will know, a lot of rhetoric around higher education these days is is about workforce preparation. And so, in the humanities, what's the workforce we're preparing them for? Well, yes. it's everything and nothing. You know, there is no job as a, well. There are very few jobs as for professional humanists out there, and there are very many jobs that make good use of what you learn in a in a humanities degree program, but. How do we quantify that? How do we first define it? What what are the things you learn in a humanities degree, and how do they serve you when you leave the university? How do they serve you after graduation? How do they serve you in your job? How do they help you get a job? How do they help you advance in a job? How do they help you be a better parent, a better community member, sure. uh, a better citizen? So if we wait in 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 fields like the humanities that don't have an obvious job pipeline, if we wait and never take on those questions ourselves, somebody else is going to define them for us with dollar signs in front of them, and we're going to look like we're not successful. So I felt like it, I and a lot of other folks um, feel like it's important for us to name what we're doing, make clear to the general public whose interests we serve in higher ed, um, make clear what it is we're preparing their children for, um, what, what kind of life we're preparing them for, how we know we're preparing them, um, and then track them once they leave and see, okay, do you have a job? Do you have kids? You know, do you have happy relationships? Do you have friends? Uh, what are the measures? What do we want to measure? The fact that you majored in, say, philosophy, uh, as an undergraduate, how does that affect your everyday life right now, five years out? Um, how does it how does it make you think differently about the world that you did that degree program? I have a um, 
uh, uh, my my former boss here at Bridgewater States to tell a story about how he was at a uh, a gathering for uh, 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 that had to do with criminal justice in in the area, and he was the dean of uh, the social science unit that care that um, covered criminal justice, and he was at this meeting. And after the meeting, he was getting a ride back to the campus from a police officer who was at the meeting. And the police officer said, oh, so you're at Bridgewater? And he said, yeah. And he said, oh, I went to Bridgewater. And uh, my boss said, oh, did you? You know, so uh, were you a criminal justice major? And he said, no, I was a philosophy major. And he said, philosophy? He said, yeah. He said, and I thank my lucky stars every day of my work life for it. He said, it has made me such a better police officer for having to address questions in the way I had to, for having to think about what, about what reasoning looks like, about how to make arguments, about how to evaluate arguments, um, about rationality. He said it was the best preparation for being a police officer ever. I mean, I, don't, I, I think we need more stories like that, but stories are not enough. And part of the reason why we want to get this group of people together is to think beyond the anecdote and think, all right, what, how do we name this stuff and how do we measure it? No, that's, and, and that's, that's great stuff. And, and, Although there, you know, there, are, you know, there are some, there are challenges here, and you know, so you have guys like Peter Thiel um, offering kids yep. uh, scholarships to not go to yeah, yep. the university, and and people challenging uh, the value. You know, even public school educations have have uh, become quite expensive, and the amount of debt that kids are taking on to to come to our universities is pretty pretty substantial. So there is a question of you know value and 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 uh, there is there's an e- there certainly is an economic question that we don't want to sweep under the rug. But I, I agree it's not it's not just that and and but these are difficult things to try to to, to tr- these are difficult questions to try to ask and answer. Absolutely, and I don't want to minimize the economic at all. Students are are paying good money, and their parents, in some cases, are paying good money to have them pursue higher education. And and um, I don't want to minimize the fact that they've got a lot of, of of student loans to pay back afterward. I just want us to be able to name what they're getting for that money. The the, the profound rewards, you know, the profound value that comes from this, um, from from you know, from pursuing a liberal education, um, but we shouldn't leave students to try to guess what that is. I guess I, yes. I, I feel like in some ways we've, we've just, again, to, to that question of, of this is all very ineffable, that we, you know, yeah. that it should be self-evident what you get from, a, from a, a liberal arts degree or, you know, from a bachelor's degree. And I don't think it, it I don't think we should ask our students to figure that out for themselves. I think we should help them figure it out, make, make it really clear to them what, these, what the value is, and make clear to the community around us that supports us, um, you know, whether it's, it's you know, state subsidies of, of public higher ed or, or uh, just the, the fact that institutions of higher ed are not, are, you know, are not paying taxes. You know, there's all kinds of, of ways that the community supports higher education and should support higher education, and we need to make clear to the community um, what, what the payback is for that. Again, not entirely in dollar signs, but not neglecting that as well. Either. Yeah, and I I want to explore this you know this notion you know how did we get to the point where liberal education didn't think that it needed to justify itself where you know I want to evaluate where that came from and or try to kind of figure that out and then 
see what see what some of the early returns on on your uh, group meetings are. So this is uh, 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 this is Big Beacon Radio with uh, special guest Paula Krebs, and in the next segment, we're going to take a look at. Uh, this notion of lib- liberal education is valuable in itself, and 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 then see where where some of the early signs are of it going from here when we come back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And we urge you to get a copy of the book that is Transforming Higher Education A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at www.wholenewengineer.org. And I'm here with uh, Paula Krebs, and we're talking about uh, the liberal arts education and, uh, um, and, and notions of student success in, in the liberal arts and, and what that means for higher education more generally. And, and before the break, Paula, we were, we were, we were talking about this notion that, that uh, liberal arts can't just say, well, you know, sort of stand on liberal education as uh, something valuable in it in itself uh, anymore but it's actually where you know where where does that notion come from it, it's 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 pretty prevalent over in engineering we get beat around the ears by it and and uh um and I'm not questioning it I'm just curious why we why we think that where where's what what are the origins of that in your mind well, I think why we're why we're questioning it now might be might be might be a way at this because okay. I think um, I mean certainly in this country we we have a tradition of liberal education that goes back quite a long time and and that that is associated with elite institutions. It's associated with privilege and it's associated with um, uh, a kind of polish of uh, finishing students before they get ready for. Uh, 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 maybe uh, philanthropy, or to take over daddy's business, or um, that that the old an older notion of of a liberal education um, was 
that was that a liberal education was for students who didn't need to worry about a vocational uh, track. They didn't need to worry where, the, where their job was going to come from. They would be um, prepared really well by their liberal education to step into the role that, that was waiting for them. And I think as higher ed has become more democratic in this country and, and um, more and more people um, have been able to pursue higher education, get degrees from the GI Bill on, um, we... We have to start thinking about, I mean, some of the folks who are getting higher ed, getting liberal, liberal education degrees, people like me, you know, who, whose dad didn't finish high school and was a pipe coverer, you know, I mean, we might have been thought to follow a career track in a previous generation, but we have opportunities available to us now to pursue um, a liberal arts degree. And so... Mm, as more people do that, fewer of a smaller percentage of those of us who pursue uh, these kinds of degrees have jobs waiting for us at the other yes. end, either in daddy's company or in philanthropy or you know in in um, in, in those privileges. Fewer of us have the kind of privilege. Um, to not worry about what yep. we're going to do after graduation. I think you're exactly right. I think I think, and I think you know the this unexamined nature it comes from that elite ba- that elite background, and it's just assumed that well, this is this is about this is about educating the elites. It's not it's not just a few hundred years or the history of this country. I think it goes back to to Athens and mm-hmm. and the origins of you know the academy and 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 so forth. I think that 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 was the same the same kind of education of elites that would that had a, a predetermined role in society and it was a matter of kind of educating them and 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 it's not necessarily a bad i, I don't think any of this denigrates it it just the 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 notion that it doesn't need to be examined um seems um well it's, it's increasingly coming under question and in a, in a, and we should be pretty suspicious of it in a democratic society like ours. I, you know, and I and and I agree. In, you know, with all of your points, and that we that we want to. Um, I mean, I want to honor that that Athenian heritage. I want to honor the the notion that nope. that we Me pursue too. a liberal education to be educated liberal citizens and be able to vote, serve in the military, you know, and participate, you know, in, in, in jury trials, you know, I mean, these are the things, uh, you know, same values in many ways. Yes. And so, um, all right. So what, you know, what are the, what are some of the early returns? And I, I know you're early in your working group and, and you're maybe sorting out even what the questions are, but what, what kinds of, what kinds of things, are you speculating about or pointing to or, or, or talking about in the group? Raising these questions has, has been really pretty exciting for me because of the take-up by people from, from a lot of different uh, quarters uh, in higher education and outside of it. Uh, there, it didn't occur to me that, that people would um, um, kind of resonate with this, with, with this idea quite so um, strongly as they have that uh, I have folks from, you know, elite institutions, liberal arts institutions, research one institutions, and many, many community colleges who want to have this conversation. Yes. Um, in fact, I mean, four times as many uh, students major in in humanities in community colleges as a as a percentage of the whole as do at four year institutions. 
humanities education, for example, is, is very big in community colleges, and community colleges want to talk about what, what does that mean and what does it mean for, for their students who do transfer to four-year institutions or, or who go out and work in the world with, with you know, a liberal arts degree. What, what, and I don't mean to confuse liberal arts and humanities, and we can talk about that later. Those are two different things, um, although it's obviously uh, deeply related. But I also have um, employers who are interested in, the, in this idea and this group, and I'm meeting with lots of employers from uh, southeastern Massachusetts who want to have this conversation with faculty members about the education they get, not to shape the education, but to understand the education and maybe take some interns, you know, have a closer relationship uh, with what we do on the campuses. And people from the public humanities are interested. The um, councils for the humanities of the, um, uh, of you know, southern New England are, are interested in, I mean, they are branches of the NEH, you know, the National Endowment for the Humanities, and they're charged with making humanities programs available to the general public um, on behalf of the NEH uh, with federal funds, and they want to have that conversation about with, with higher ed, uh, who are uh, sometimes partners with them and sometimes not partners with them in, in terms of um, bringing... Uh, Again, bringing humanities education at least to um, to the general public outside of a university setting. So, yeah. lots of different quarters wanting to talk about this, and everybody's a little bit afraid. You know, are you talking about workforce preparation? Do you want to just make us into you know professional schools, or you know, or or the opposite of that? Are you going to completely ignore the fact that these students have to get jobs when they get out of here? So there's yeah. a, there's a tightrope that we have to learn to walk here. Well, and there seems to, and and um, well, and, and it hasn't been uh, fully a love fest too. I was looking at some of the comments on 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 the article, on, and and you know, so you know, the misguided, you know, the misguided Dean Krebs, uh, in, in this way or that way. But I, some of the, the most of the arguments I read were were kind of were pretty old ones. Okay, so we've. So you know, like your police officer story, we have we have successful graduates that find their way in life and do cool things, oftentimes at a very high level. So what's the problem? It ain't broke, mm-hmm. don't fix it. But yeah, yeah. Um, there's a certain sense in which some of what we were talking about before is that fewer and fewer people, even the even the nature of work. We've had guys like Dan Pink on the show, and and like the mm-hmm. uh, the, the nature of work has changed, and so even if we were preparing people for those jobs and regular career paths um the those career you know the 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 working for an employer stably for most of your career is is largely gone and so what does it mean to prepare uh someone for a life of uh, uh temp work or 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 um uh, freelance work yeah i think um i think what we have to take on um, in in higher education and liberal education is the notion of careers plural preparation. You know mm-hmm. that that um, we're and and I'm sure that, you know somebody who was trained as an engineer 20 years ago is not doing what they were exactly trained for. You know 20 years ago in their current engineering job. You know they yes. that oh. every every part of higher education you know can give you skills in order to be able to adapt to the changing circumstances of, of your career. So whether that's in professional education or in liberal arts education, it's, it's, it's not a whole heck of a lot different. Um, 
what students are going to do in their careers. They're going to learn on the job. We all learn on the job. Um, but what can we... What can we in higher education help students to identify as, as the, and it, I'm going to use a couple of words that would make um, many faculty members cringe, the skills and competencies um, that they're taking from their, from their undergraduate um, education to their first, to their first job. Um, I, I don't. I'm not a fan of the phrase soft skills. Uh, I feel like it, in many ways it, it, it denigrates what it we... It denigrates what we, them, yes. You know, I, yeah. I agree with you, yeah. Um, but what's, so what students um, learn in a general education curriculum uh, as part of their engineering degree or, you know, in, um, or in a humanities degree or a social sciences degree that's not, um, that's not uh, a licensure program, for example. So our... Uh, our social work majors, they get a license when they're done. They can go out and be a social worker and practice social work. Um, but our, you know, our, our English degrees are not going to go out and practice English. You know, they, they have to figure out what they're going to do um, in a different way. So I, now I'm, you know, I'm looping. Um, no, 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 but I think, no, I think you're onto something important here in the sense, you know, so the, this notion of soft skills and, 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 and when you talk to, when you go and talk to employers and on the engineering side, when we go talk to employers, uh, you know, that we hear that a lot and, and oftentimes they don't really know what they mean by it. And, mm-hmm. and, and I don't like the term either because it was certainly in the and hard sciences and hard engineering, soft kind of is less good uh-huh. than the hard stuff uh-huh. that uh-huh. the basics that, you know, the math science and engineering science that was the really important stuff. And so we, I often talked about the missing basics of engineering and, and they were, you know, I would, uh, I would talk about Plato and I would talk about Socrates and I would talk about Descartes. And, and, and so, the, so I would bring forward the, the critical thinking canon, but it's, it's bigger than that. It's not, and I think one of the things that that sort of separates, you know, so there's a sense in which the the university, because it's been about elites, has largely been about kind of knowing and mm-hmm. and about abstract mm-hmm. theory. That those right. those things, not getting your hands dirty, has been important in elite institutions. And this kind of staying away from the dirtiness of the real world and acting in the world is has been a has been. A, Part of the liberal arts package. To, uh, uh, yeah. That's a that's a broad brush, and it's maybe overstating I, it a bit. Uh, no, it, it but but I, I I see what you're getting at, and 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 in some ways, some of that's inherent in a in a in a phrase that gets used a lot in in my line of work, which is the life of the mind. Um, mm. And you know, I I understand the value of a phrase like the life of the mind, and I I try to live a life of the mind. But you know, I've got a body as well, um, and hands, and and, and and our students do, and they're yeah. going to be using their hands a lot. And I I don't like the idea that um, that it's the opposite of 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 using your body in your work. And um, I think that's part of why increasing number of institutions are recognizing. Uh, how important it is to to get students out in the world. Um, I don't think it's um, I don't think the drive to provide internships for students is simply um, an economic one. I th- I think it's also a recognition of the need to combine what you're what you've been talking about a real world experience and a sense of getting your hands dirty and a sense of applying the stuff that's in your head um, to relations with other human beings to produce products um, you know uh, whether those products are 
are um, intellectual products or, or physical products. Uh, I think that, that more and more institutions of higher ed are, are recognizing what, you know, what many, many engineering programs, you know, for example, have, have known for a really long time that students have to do the hands-on learning. They have to, I, I visited um, uh, WPI one time, you know, Worcester Polytechnic, sure. um, and what I, what I learned about the, the you know, the pro- project-based learning that they were doing, the, way, the ways that those engineering students were not just under, understanding engineering pro- problems as, as problems on paper, that, that they had to learn t- what the human element of that engineering problem was, what the physical element of it was, as well as abstract elements of it. I mean, those kinds of combinations of learning uh, can only benefit our students. You know, it's, uh, I, yes. I, I, I find that movement, you know, this movement to, to encourage, and, and my own institution, for example, I mean, here is a, uh, another problem of that is that when you re- uh, require or, or, or set an expectation that students are all going to do internships, does that on, only benefit students who can afford to do unpaid labor, mm. you know, for a certain amount of time? And I'm at a regional comprehensive institution. Our, you know, many of our students can't afford to, to go and work for eight weeks for somebody for, for no money. That's, it's impractical. It, you know, they can't, it just, um, I mean, I can sell the value of it as as much as I want to them, but but they have rent to pay, um, parents to support their kids, you know. And so, uh, one thing that we're doing is try to fund internships. Okay, the employer can't afford to pay. Uh, maybe the employer can cough up a little bit, and the institution can cough up some transportation costs, some stipend for it. So, so we're trying to make it possible for students from all income brackets to take advantage of that kind of experiential learning that 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 you're advocating. That I, I think is essential no matter no matter what your degree program is. Well, and and you know, and there are lots of ways to you know, and we're not really a program on PB, on project-based learning today, but uh, there, there's a sense in which there are lots of ways to bring, you can send students off to projects and, and internships, and you can bring projects into the classroom, and there's quite a bit known about ways of doing that, and, and uh, companies can actually get pretty excited about doing that and even thro- throwing in a fair amount of money to, uh, to help fund those sorts of things um, in, in, in ways that uh, end up being upside surprising often uh, well, oftentimes i taught in a, take that yeah, <laughs> yeah i taught in a, a, a an industrially sponsored senior design uh, class for about tw- uh, 20 years and the class has existed since the the 60s and so there's a, there's a there, and especially in engineering there's a fairly large database of ways and combinations and permutations of of doing these sorts of things but you know engineering's got a problem and and Two along the lines that we're talking about here, and and you you raised it. You talked about you talked about bodies, and I threw in hearts, and you talked talked about hands. There's a sense of life of the mind, or that knowing or understanding is is at all. And we've been talking a little bit about acting in the world. So there's a sense of reducing things to action, but reducing things to action is an embodied function, and mm-hmm. and it's also an emotional. Mm-hmm. Uh, engagement. You don't do things unless you're motivated and emotionally engaged with them. Well, you can do them, but you may not do them very well unless you're emotionally engaged in them. And 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 in engineering, for sure, it's been very difficult to talk about 
heart and and uh, engagement and the importance of you know, in, you know, we, in the olden days in engineering, we would say, look to your left, look to your right, two of the three mm-hmm. of you won't make it, ha ha, and it's mm-hmm. we, as though we were proud of that kind right. of right. that kind of uh, filtering. You don't do that anymore, thank God, but but it, but in terms of talking about, in, you know, our, our kids intrinsically motivation, motivated, why do they come to what they come to? Why do they come to, to the humanities? Um, and what motivates them and, and, um, it's 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 taboo. You know, we're supposed to be rational, fully rational mm-hmm. machines. Reason is everything, and emotion and body sort of don't count. Mm-hmm. And good for you for raising this stuff in engineering education, because I mean, I think humanities education. We 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 sometimes think we're you know we're all head and heart, <laughs> and and but when you graduate then you don't get to be that anymore, right? So that's, mm-hmm. it's an indulgence um, that you get to practice as, a, as an undergraduate, and then you go out, you're in the real world with a capital R and a capital W, and, you're, um, and you don't read anymore, and you don't um, talk about books anymore, and you don't go to plays, you know. And so one thing that we have to do, I think, more in humanities education is make the bridge for students so that they can understand how to continue to have the same, the same values and the same heart, as you say, um, when they get out of here. And that if they're making a lot, a lot of money five years out and they hate what they're doing, that's not a success. You know, that is not a success for our, for our institution. Um, and how do we show students um, ways to make choices that will satisfy what you're talking about. That will yeah. that will that will feed their heart and their mind as well as uh, you know their checking accounts, um, and that will allow them to use what they've learned uh, and and still be who they who they who they who they are. Yeah, yeah. Now we're yeah. now we're on authenticity grounds. Beautiful. Yeah. So let's hold that thought and. Uh, this is Big Beacon Ra- Radio with special guest Paula Krebs, and in the next segment, we're gonna we're gonna pick up on this authenticity theme, and then we're gonna talk about how how can the humanities and the sciences and STEM subjects kind of learn from each other. We'll pick that up in the next segment. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3joy website, www.3joy.com today. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, 
please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio and get the coaching and deep faculty development you need to help transform higher education at 3joy.com. And I'm here with uh, Paula Krebs, Dean Paula Krebs, and we've been we've been talking about uh, well, we've been talking about a lot of stuff. We've been talking about uh, liberal education and student success, and and we're sort of, we're kind of headed towards ways in which uh, the humanities and and some of the uh, hard subjects, uh, STEM subjects, can kind of uh, learn from each other. And um, not well, I guess it was in 2012. You you wrote a nice uh, piece about uh, that, and it. And it started with the um, it started with the idea that um, that uh, uh, it was a provocation, really, that humanities students should be more like computer science students. What what did you mean by that? <laughs> well, that semester um, I decided to sit in on a computer science course taught by one of my colleagues because I thought it would help me be a better English teacher. And what I what I discovered in learning some very, very basic coding was how much you have to fail in computer science before you get it right, how many times you get things wrong before you get it right, and how incredibly satisfying it is when you finally do get it right. And mm-hmm. I thought, I, I, had a, I had a student once do an honors thesis with me in English, and I'm she had always gotten A's in all of her papers and all of her courses. And as she was doing the honors thesis, she, I would make her turn in drafts, and then I would give her feedback on them and ask her to change them and, and revise them. And, um, and I think she had never turned in anything to let anybody else see it before it was perfect before. And at the end, I asked her how it was, the whole experience, and she said it, was, it felt degrading. And I thought, this is the worst thing. I've taught this woman nothing. You know, if she thinks sharing her ideas before they're complete is degrading, um, then, she's, then she's missed out on so much of what, what education should be. And that computer scientists are the ones <laughs> who know that, and, and scientists in general, but the sure. course I was taking at the time was computer science, that, that there's nothing wrong with you if you get things wrong. You just keep trying until you get it right. But humanists think you turn in the A paper and there, there you are, your beautiful self, um, and nobody needs to see the hard work that goes into it. And, and something's wrong with you if, you if you haven't produced a perfect product. So I, I advised, again, it's back to your question of getting your hands dirty, that the idea that, that you, you know, that humanities students needed, needed a little bit more uh, risk-taking behavior. They needed to, you know, to show a little more of the dirty underside of what goes on in, in, in writing these perfect papers at the end. And they need to share ideas before they're complete and fight with people about them and wrestle with ideas and not be afraid to turn... To, to do work that's not perfect. Um, I think ideas don't come out of the perfect. They come out of the pretty good, you know, the pretty good that you then poke and tweak and fix. And, again, uh, scientists know this. They know that you don't turn out perfect things, out, you know, off, uh, uh, on the first effort, and they know that you don't have to uh, 
get A's in everything in order to be good at it. And I, I do think uh, humanists have a lot to learn from that. Yeah, and that, so that's a that's a really interesting point. And so, you know, one way to get that is through uh, critique or criticism. Um, I'm thinking of other disciplines that are, you know, not. Uh, it, you know, we did some work at Illinois uh, in, in bringing a uh, a design course, essentially an industrial design course, but on engineered objects. So, um, so some of the, so you had kind of the soft content that was very human. But there was still a sense of whether the designs were good or not, and this, this, the, for example, in a in a in an arts faculty and in an industrial design faculty, the whole notion of critique and design critique is built in as as essential, and Absolutely. and failing and and iterating is is oh, yeah. is no, much the, the arts, same as the an engineer. Know how to fail? That's right. The arts definitely know how to fail in a way that, that English majors don't. Yes, you're right. <laughs> well, and so yeah. So how do you get you know? So how do you inject that uh, uh, that you know, and you can do it through. Um, so there's a sense of it being sort of natural and connected to the way things are in the world in yeah. industrial design or in engineering. How do you do that in a in a way that that the student didn't buy that because none of our other classes were like that? And so, yeah. how do you do that in the humanities in a in kind of an authentic way that students buy? Well, not only that, but but how do you how do you get students? Um, how do you prepare them for life after graduation where where they're going to turn in, you know, work before they're absolutely happy with it, you know, yes. where they're going to be working with other people on projects and they won't have control of the whole thing. And, you know, and there'll be there'll be steps that they have to follow. And that and that's one thing that um, I think humanities faculty can do in relation to this, which is foreground for students to make instead of, you know, um, Always having you know a ten page paper at the end of a of a semester and a you know and a midterm exam or something you know stage projects have have you know scaffold them have this short aspect of it do then another different aspect of it do then have people work in groups um on on uh, i think what what we don't realize sometimes in humanities education sometimes in liberal arts education in general is that we can train students in things like project management. This is a phrase we don't use much in the humanities, but in <laughs> fact, students can do project management. And they could say when they, when they get out, they can say, you know, I've taken a project across 10 weeks, broken it up into stages, you know, worked with students, you know, with other people on various aspects of it and produced a product that involved some visuals as well as some, you know, some, some written content. And this is, this is valuable workforce stuff that we sure. have never asked our students uh, to be aware of. Um, some of it we're doing already. Some of it we could easily introduce into humanities courses. Um, it's not just um, business courses that do these kinds of things or, um, or science courses, but, um, but it's quite possible um, in the social sciences and the humanities as well. Yeah, I think you're exact. You're onto something, and exactly right. That yeah. So you you introduced the notion of you know, collaboration and doing these things in teams. That's, I think that's another area where you know the sciences, by by the nature of the work in the world, have have imitated that. And so we, these projects, these design projects that kids will do in an industrially sponsored design course, uh, will be team projects. And so. Yeah. They get the <clears throat> both the, the the joy and messiness of, of of working in teams and and have to struggle with some of the project management issues and and uh, and some of the critique comes right. from team members. It's it's yeah. naturally part of the 
trying to put together a, pro a product uh, and project with with other people who have a different point of view that um, right. where things get discussed and 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 uh, so there's a sense and there's a sense of of uh, Humanities Academy as as being fairly individually focused and again I'm painting with a pretty broad brush. But that it would be, it wouldn't be all that much of a struggle. Although it'd be culture, it'd be countercultural for sure to have have more teamwork and more project management, as you said. No, suggest. I agree, and and yeah. certainly some aspects of the humanities do that already. The performing arts, they know how to do it. You know, they know how to work in groups, and they, you know, if if the actors can't get along with each other and with the director and the yep. and the and the costume manager, then the production doesn't work. You know, so the so the performing arts and and to a certain extent the you know other fine arts as well um, and music, you know. So the, these students understand, uh, and, and if a student is not going to work professionally in theater when they graduate with a theater major, they can still talk about how they produce, you know, they've, uh, how, how they've worked with other students, with um, yeah. supervisors, with directors, with uh, musicians, uh, to, to get a project, to get a show mounted. It's a huge undertaking and it's a real tribute to students' skills in working together and in following through. And, you know, sometimes, you know, half the, half the battle is, is showing up, right? So if uh, students who do this kind of work, they know how to show up. They know if they're not at the rehearsal, they're not going to be on the, you know, on the stage. Um, and I think, again, naming, getting getting um, faculty and students to name the skills that they've got and then to put into real-world practice, either through internships or through different kinds, as you pointed out, different kinds of things that they can do in the classroom in collaboration with uh, people from, from outside. Um, once we name these things and can demonstrate them, um, and we, then we can measure them and we can prove that these, that these are valuable um, uh, kind of aspects uh, of a liberal education. Yes, nice, and 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 I you do you, you do see it happening, and it and and it's um, it's become um, become more prevalent, and and I guess we you know we you know we face we speak, we face we've already called out some of the old um, uh, biases. I I had the experience of starting a workshop uh, with philosophers of technology and engineers and. There is a sort of sense of uh, kind of transfer from the theoretical to the applied that mm -hmm. kind of, that's kind of unidirectional. But I think a number of the things that we've been uh, that we've been calling out is that there are things that you know, that both sides, especially if we're talking about action in the world and and uh, and moving from kind of elite uh, notions of theory to being able to act in the world and do stuff and show up in an embodied way and so forth. That there are things that we can. Um, uh, learn from each other in, in much the same way that you know, this notion of failing that you got from um, sitting in on the CS course. And we've called out a number of them, but what else, what other things can we learn from each other? Um, I, I think what I, I, I really like when, when again, um, I'll go back to faculty issues because I am a dean, um, and say when faculty work with each other across those, those disciplinary boundaries, they, they understand come to understand their own fields better. Um, they come to and, and be better at, at their own practice. So when our, uh, you know, the guy from music does, uh, works with, the, with um, the woman in physics and they do the physics of music uh, course, both 
the students in, from both majors come to understand their own areas much, much better and in a much richer and more, um, I don't know, um, in, a, in a more liberal way, you know, in, yeah. in the old Greek sense, you know, that, yeah. that, um, that kind of interdisciplinary understanding that when I, um, when I used to teach, I, I taught a course um, on, um, it was called Empire, Race, and the Victorians, and it was connected in the curriculum of my institution to a course in biology for, that was the intro to, bio, to biology for biology majors. About and 30 student, seconds. Oh, sorry. Um, Students who were majoring in English and in biology in both of those, um, both took the same course and both came to understand their disciplines completely differently and and in a much more rich way by by taking bio and English together. Very nice. Yeah. And we've got, uh, next week, we've got a tag team of a historian and a material scientist on the Ah. the show to sort of punctuate the point that you're making. Um, So if people want to find out more about about your work, uh, a website or a, an email address? How do they how do they get a hold of you? Um, well, they can just uh, find me through through the Chronicle. Um, if you just Google Krebs K R E B S um, at the Chronicle, you can find my articles and my contact information there. I'm P Krebs at bridgew.edu at home at Bridgewater State University, and I'd love to hear from people. So thank Great. you very much, Dave, for this opportunity. Thanks, Paula, for for joining us. You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. Special thanks to uh, Dean Paula Krebs and Help Transform Higher Education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week when we have uh, um, uh, former Olin faculty member John Stolk and current Olin faculty member Rob Martello when they talk about the stuff stuff of history and uh, intrinsic motivation with us next week, same time, same station. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.